0: Welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. This is John Murphy, and it's my pleasure to welcome to this podcast Dr. Stephen Little. Dr. Little is an assistant professor in the Department of Chemical Engineering at the University of Pittsburgh. He's a graduate of MIT, where he earned his PhD under Dr. Langer. And Dr. Little is also recently a recipient of the uh, Beckman Foundation Award, which we can discuss uh, in a few moments. Uh, Dr. Little, welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today.
1: Thanks, John. It's exciting to be here.
0: The uh, work that you do uh, covers a wide range of activities and endeavors.
1: Our interests are broad, but fall under the general field of drug delivery. Uh, We're particularly interested in looking at drug delivery in a different way than conventionally uh, scientists have been looking at it. I think that what we are trying to do is look at drug delivery as information. So, traditionally, you are providing a stimulus um, and you can control the presence of that stimulus over time, uh, control the rate. Uh, per se, of of the delivery of of particular information or stimulus. What we are trying to do is not only control the time in which those stimulus are presented, but also trying to control uh, the context in which um, that information is provided. Just like I speak to you in sentences, I believe that um, the cells speak to each other and communicate in that way, and they can do that through contact-mediated signaling through secreted signaling and through signaling over time and what we're trying to do is present these signals in the correct context so that the information can be provided in the correct way. So we can talk about how you're trying
0: to do that in a moment but perhaps you could share with us the the significance or the relevance of
1: this for our audience. Sure, Uh, I think that the more we understand about biology, the more we understand how complex processes such as regenerating tissues and processes such as communicating information to the immune system that has to do with immune suppression or immune tolerance or also with immune activation, and I mean by potentially vaccines, Those processes are not as simple as just communicating one piece of information. There are multiple forms of communication and multiple stages of events that are occurring there. And what we are trying to do is trying to mimic those processes so that we can do a better job of regenerating tissues and we can create better vaccines and we can potentially suppress the immune system better as well.
0: So when these techniques are perfected, uh, how might a clinician uh, put them to use for a patient?
1: Right, that's a great question. I think that we are... Uh, making efforts at the early stage of the design of m- many of our therapeutics to make them applicable to a clinical situation by providing off-the-shelf materials. So we are trying to make systems that are made from materials that are not going to expire on the shelf, that are not going to require cellular materials to be present inside of those off-the-shelf project, uh, products. And we are trying to develop uh, very easy systems for people to manipulate and, and control the delivery of different materials over time.
0: So Dr. Little, these technologies, they seem to have some applicability in terms of the, the manner, and the rate, and the sequence at which drug, a drug or drugs could be delivered to a patient. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, there are many people right now who are trying to explore the administration of brand new drugs, drugs that have never been administered before. There are large fields of drug discovery where very minute changes are being made to existing drugs in order to make new things. And people are trying to take advantage of these new drugs and these new stimuli uh, in order to make wound healing occur faster, to make wound healing occur better, and to make... The immune system do what we want to do in order to manipulate the immune system. Uh, Just two examples. What we are trying to do is trying to not necessarily make the drug better, but we are trying to present it in a way, potentially in the way that the body would see it normally uh, in its regenerative processes or in its immune function so that the process occurs better, not by a new drug, but by a different presentation of current drugs.
0: And I have the impression that for types of drugs, this was a
1: uh, essential or a critical uh, step in the success of that particular therapy. Absolutely. And when the field was originally discovered in the nineteen seventies, what what we the reason that it was discovered was uh, the reason that it was so successful is because these drugs were being taken orally, being taken in injections, and what was happening is that there was two things that were happening. The first was that the material was not being presented in the in the right concentration over time. So it would either be too much at a certain time or too little at a certain time. So ideally what you'd want to have is is just the right amount over a long period of time. The second thing is is that if you don't take your pill, then you don't get the right amount of, of, of drugs. So you had a problem with patient compliance. And what drug delivery did was it solved both of those problems simultaneously by basically administering the drug for the person in the right in the right amounts this is very
0: interesting and one of the questions we frequently get from our listeners is that uh, how long before these technologies will be available now i i know that this is uh, just some emerging ideas from your laboratory but is this a a potentially a five or a
1: ten year time frame before Well, I would say that we have some work right now on very promising things where we are simply taking two different materials that are already delivered clinically. And what we are doing is just combining them together so that the presentation is correct. And what that means is that there's a much shorter period of time before we're actually able to implement those things, as opposed to creating a brand new drug or a brand new delivery system that takes uh, extremely long time to get through regulatory processes in the United States. So I would say that there are a couple of therapies that we are moving into preclinical trials with right now that I can see progressing at a, a more rapid phase, definitely feasible to be seeing these things in clinical trials within the next five years.
0: Dr. Little, this is very interesting and very promising and you've explained the uh, broad concept and the uh, benefits. Uh, can you briefly describe how one does such a uh, technique?
1: Sure. Well, traditionally, one controls the release drug over time by making a matrix and encapsulating or embedding the drug that you want to release inside of that matrix. And that matrix can restrict the movement of that drug and also serve as a depot of that material. And you plant, implant that material, you can use different materials that will release the drug over different periods of time, that will last over different periods of time, that completely resorb after you implant them. And what you are, what we are able to do, or what we've done so far, is we've been able to make mathematical models through our understanding of how that processes, or how these processes occur, and these are of the first that are able to predict, and therefore we're able to use those models to design systems that will be able to release materials over the uh, precise period of time and and exhibiting the exact behavior that we want. That kind of control, I think, is necessary, and uh, we have those tools in our laboratory right now. Also, materials that you use are absolutely critical, so we're developing new materials and utilizing combinations of existing materials in order to get these release profiles and patterns to occur in the way that we want them to. Very interesting. So can can you share an example of uh, how these tools might be applied? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the ways that you can control the presentation of a material is through targeting. A great example of this is immunosuppression. In the clinic right now, immunosuppressants are given systemically, and that leads to a lot of side effects that, that we don't like. That leads to the general suppression of the immune system, which means that you have suppression against things that you want to be able to protect against as well, which is what your body does on a regular basis. So Dr. Little,
0: I assume you're trying to avoid some adverse effects from the traditional therapeutic approaches, is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. I think that, at least in my opinion, that the way that current Drugs are administered in the clinic, uh, for instance, with immunosuppression, is very crude. We administer those drugs systemically so that they're present in the bloodstream, they're present in, all, in, in most of the tissues of the body. So what ends up happening is that there are not only toxicities that are associated with the presence of those materials in the different tissues, but all of your immune system is suppressed. It's not just towards the particular thing that you want to, to target for suppression. So what we're trying to do is we are trying to target the particular cells in the immune system, not administer the materials throughout the entire body. And there are ways that we can do that that are more complex and actually very simple. That would be a little bit easier to implement in the clinic. And what we're trying to do is trying to make it specific for the insult that is occurring. So for instance, a transplant. Um, you would want to suppress only against that transplant. Another great example of that is in tissue engineering, implanted materials, only trying to get the uh, immune system to be suppressed around that so that you don't reject those things.
0: So this technology would avoid the complications that you're typically
1: encountered with uh, uh, post-transplantation? Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Most of these complications involve very serious side effects, not the least of which is that Some of the patients even develop cancer over time just because the immune system is not able to battle cells that are becoming cancerous and growing in the body uncontrollably. That process is normally considered as being inflammatory. The immune system would stop that process, and there is usually a breakdown in that process whenever these things occur.
0: I also understand that diabetes is another common occurrence with these types of cases as well.
1: It is. Diabetes is also another, or at least one form of diabetes, is also an autoimmune disease where what happens is that there is a regulation of immunity in the body that breaks down. What you would normally think of the immune system as doing is it went activators, things that attack and things that protect. But there are also sides of the immune system that regulate. So there are T cells and dendritic cells that not only activate the immune system, but also regulate those processes and suppress the immune system and keep those from happening. So in things like one of the forms of diabetes, things like arthritis, there are breakdowns in that regulation process. So
0: I mentioned at the outset of this discussion that you are the recent recipient of the, uh, an Arnold and Mabel Beckman Foundation Award which uh, is to uh, recognize and promote research in chemistry and life sciences. So first of all, congratulations on the receipt of this very significant award. Can you uh, share with us a little bit the uh, the focus of your studies that are supported by
1: the Beckman Foundation? Sure. very excited to be a recipient of that award. And what that award does is it provides funding towards innovative research, uh, things that are high-risk approaches. And just like we were talking about targeting stimulus to the immune system, what we're doing in these projects is that we're actually trying to make drug delivery vehicles that behave like immune cells. So we are trying to present information, immunological information, in the same way that cells present those information. So those cells can secrete materials, those cells can present stimulus on their surface, and also present them in spatially different ways. And what we're doing is we're creating drug delivery vehicles that are able to do those things simultaneously. So with respects to communicating information, we are creating artificial cells. And how would you use the artificial cells? Right. So right now, one of the approaches in the clinic that we're seeing or in clinical trials that we're seeing is that people are trying to isolate immune cells and manipulate them in a culture dish. That shows a lot of promise and I'm very excited to see what happens in that field. Uh, The problems with doing that are that it's difficult to isolate enough cells to be able to do what you want to do with them. The second problem with that approach is that you never know exactly what the cells are going to do when you put them back into the body, they may revert, they are uh, very plastic things. What we're talking about doing is engineering a system that's static. We can change the different order, the different temporal presence and absence of of particular signals, and then put it in and we know that it's going to stay that way, at least for some period of time that we can program. So in that way, we're able to ask a lot of fundamental immunological questions that people haven't been able to ask in the past. Is this necessary? Is this sufficient? Um, and I think that's very interesting.
0: Certainly it fits the category of high risk but very, very high reward. And so I'm uh, anxious to see how this proceeds as you move along this path. So, Dr. Little, I also understand that uh, you uh, have some interest in work in... Uh, tissue engineering. Can you uh, give us a little bit of insight
1: into that as well, please? Sure. I'm, I'm very fortunate to have appointments in the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine and also brilliant collaborators at the McGowan Institute. One of those is Alan Russell, and he came up with a, a great way to be able to control the presence and absence of signals over time in a, in a wound. So, we're able to utilize that technology to look at some very interesting things that have to do with the progression of wound healing. It's my contention that a wound does not heal all at once using one particular signal. And there are many therapies right now for healing wounds that involve the administration of the stimulus, these growth factors. Deliver one or they deliver a couple of them at the exact same time. I believe that wound healing is a multi-stage process and each of those stages may be controlled by completely different factors and I think that that makes sense. You wouldn't want to tell the cells to do one thing that has to do with an early stage wound healing event and also at the same time tell them to do something else that has to do with a late stage wound healing event. So what we're doing right now is we're trying to study what happens when you deliver early stage factors, then stop the delivery of those early stage factors, and then deliver late stage factors and see what happens, combination of the two, rather than delivering them both at the same time, or rather than uh, delivering one of them alone. And so far, the results from that work has been extremely promising. We're seeing much better responses biologically whenever we present these factors in the way that we believe the body actually presents them when a wound heals.
0: So just for clarification, when you say signals, they they are the growth factors that you refer to in in your comments, is that correct? That's correct. So again, from a uh, a potential consumer perspective, what does this mean to the the patient, uh, assuming these technologies uh, mature?
1: Right. So I think that what this means is that we're trying to look at modifications of delivery uh, strategies that are currently being used in order to make that wound healing process occur faster and to make that wound healing process occur more efficiently.
0: Dr. Little, I know you don't do uh, all these fine things by yourself. You uh, rely on a team in your laboratory consisting of uh, undergraduate and graduate students and postdoctoral trainee. Can you explain just a little bit about uh, your lab setup and
1: your... Uh, need for and your opportunities for students to join them. We not only have great collaborators in the different institutes that we're involved in and we have appointments in, but we also have fantastic researchers in our laboratory, not only at the postdoctoral and graduate level, but uh, but also in the undergraduate level. And a lot of those undergraduates have taken on projects themselves and are making significant progress towards uh, their research goals. And we are consistently taking new students well, I have to
0: commend you on uh, this because, in particular, the undergraduate research opportunity because I, the students that I see who uh, participate in undergraduate research studies are uh, uh, certainly more well-prepared and developed uh, to uh, not only either pursue graduate studies or to move into the workforce. So I think this is a, a wonderful opportunity that you, uh, you offer to, uh, to many, many students. In that uh, context, for any of our listeners who want to uh, meet more of the uh, lab team of Dr. Little, uh, he has a website, which we'll post on the uh, podcast website as well. But you might just note, it's www.littlelab.pitt.edu. Dr. Little, this has been a uh, fascinating uh, opportunity to uh, learn about some very innovative and pioneering studies. Some of these are different levels of maturity, but uh, I would uh, welcome the opportunity to have you join us again at a later date and hear an update. As we conclude, I'd like to remind our listeners that uh, we cannot perform diagnose diagnosis via the Internet but we do encourage patients and other interested parties to uh, suggest topics that might be covered on these podcasts. You can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. And as we conclude, I'd like to thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine, who sponsors these podcasts, for this opportunity to bring these exciting stories to you. Until we meet again in two weeks, uh, best wishes, and we look forward to another podcast soon.